Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. So is this the last day it's supposed to rain? Like, are we going to go into summer pretty soon? (laughs) Interestingly enough, you know, we're talking about the ark, Noah, the flood today. I just found out yesterday that the ark encounter in Kentucky, you know, the big ark that they built to show people what it really looked like. The ark encounter has uh, just filed in a district court a lawsuit against their insurance company for flood damage (laughs) and an ironic twist of fate. (laughs) God built things better, and Noah followed the instructions. Water itself, you know, we think about water. Water can be life-giving, obviously, but like fire, water can be destructive. Every year I hear, you know, when the people that go out in the flood channels and the rivers there and they get swept away and I'm like don't you learn from the other people that that happened through the year before don't ride your bike next to the water and you're going to get swept away and just last week I guess in Jefferson City Missouri which is near where my father-in-law lives in Illinois they had a EF3 tornado with 160 miles per hour winds just devastate the city and then they had floods You know, water can be damaging. There was a dam up in Northern California called Oroville Dam. Remember when that broke or was going to break? There was a breach. All that water would just come out and they had to evacuate 180,000 people. So water is powerful and God's wrath is real. And God can use whatever means available, which is everything, to accomplish his purpose on earth. And the world during Noah's time, was pure evil. In fact, it was evil continually. Needed a good washing. So God decided to start over. And sadly, I would say, as in every generation, it just seems like it's happening over and over again. And the world is actually very similar to the time of Noah. But here the grace is offered to everyone who might receive grace. So just summary so far, as we've been going through Genesis and the sermon series called Back to Basics, God created what? Everything, right? Um, And he created it out of nothing. So that's important to understand. He created male and female in his image. And do you remember what the part of God's image is for male and female, for humans? To rule over the world to subdue it against the kingdom of darkness. That's what we're supposed to do, but sadly, we don't do that as much as we should. We become ruled by the world, and we become seduced by the devil instead of subduing him. And then remember Adam bombed, and he and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. By the way, they've discovered that the first computer was an apple, and it had one bite of memory, and then it crashed. So Adam and Eve took upon themselves the penalty of sin. God said, if you eat the forbidden fruit, 
what would happen? They would die. So we took on that same sin nature that's been passed down. And because of sin, we die. But because of Christ, we don't have to die eternally. We can be with God in heaven. Now, Adam and Eve had two sons. What, do you remember their name? Cain and Abel. What happened to Abel? Killed. Who killed him? Cain, right? So then had another son. What was his name? Seth. Seth is important because I'm not going to show that graph again. Maybe I'll pull it out again next week. But the whole graph, if you remember, Seth starts that line, the seed that leads all the way to Christ. So that's an important line. So now we've gone from Adam and Eve, and we're now eight generations later to where Noah was born. And Noah lived in a time of pure evil. In Genesis 6, 1 through 2, it says, Now it came about when men began to multiply in the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose. These two verses have become an issue of interpretation with the term sons of God and daughters of men. Has anyone studied this before? And there's many ideas about sons of God. Is that referring to like heavenly beings and daughters of men or humans? Did like angelic beings have sexual relations with human beings? First of all, we have to ask the question or understand what Jesus said about angels. You remember what he said, that there was no marriage in heaven will be like the angels. So what he's saying there is the sexual relationship part of the human life in marriage is to multiply the earth. Apparently, there's none of that that's needed in heaven. So that's the first thing. But the term sons of God is a term that's used a lot about believers. So in Romans 8, 19, it says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the what? The creation, the world, is waiting as we are for our bodies to be redeemed. That's what that's saying. And we are the sons of God. Now, in Galatians 3.26, it's even clearer. Read that with me. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, remember I told you that some translated children of God, but the problem there is it takes out the important term son because it's the son that would inherit the inheritance. So in Christ, we're all sons. That's a good thing because we inherit the inheritance. So sons of God, I would say, in this Genesis chapter 6, is referring to believers in the line of Seth. And the daughters of men would be unbelievers in the line of Cain. Cain, the nation became known as Canaanites. Remember when God and Israel had a lot of problem with Canaanites. (laughs) So they were the ungodly and Seth's family was the believers. The line that God chose to carry the seed of Christ. Cain commits the first murder. So he was cursed. Seth was blessed. But the point here is that you have believers intermarrying with unbelievers, which is not God's plan. God's plan is that the same type of person, that means 
someone who's in Christ, a regenerated person by the Holy Spirit, is a believer in Christ, the, the marriage should be of the same nature that way. If you're not married that way, marriage is hard enough. Would you agree with me? If you add on the fact that your values and your desires and the core issues of your life are different, that's a really hard thing to deal with. So I would say a really important thing, especially for young people who are thinking of getting married, and I pray for my kids all the time, Lord, I pray that their future spouse, you know who they are, that they're fully devoted followers of Christ, and they love Jesus more than anything. And that's what I pray. I would encourage you to pray that for your kids and your grandkids as well. In Genesis 5, uh, going on in verses 5 and 6, said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and the Lord was sorry, and that word could be regret, that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So what does it say about God? God has emotions. And he was grieved in his heart, and that word grieved means it's a feeling of mourning over the loss of a family member due to death. That's the type of grief that God had. Now, he wasn't grieving over the fact that he made his creation. He was grieving at how far it had gone south in sin. Because remember, we are to carry the image of God. We are the imago Dei of God. And when sin came into the world and into the human creation, it distorts and mars what God intended that we would be a light to shine who he is to the world. So only when Christ comes into our life is that image fully restored. Now, we don't act like it half the time, but as believers, we have the Spirit of God in our heart, in our life. So that means that God's image is fully restored in us and he has deposited his Holy Spirit in us. Kenneth Matthews says this, God's response of grief over the making of humanity, however, is not remorse in the sense of sorrow over a mistaken creation. Our verse shows that God's pain has its source in the perversion of human sin. The making of man is no error. It is what man has made of himself. That's what God, he's grieved over sin. And in Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So God has emotions and he grieves over our sin. Genesis 6.11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. Remember, Cain committed the first act of violence when he murdered his own brother over a dispute and an offering to God. He was a murderer. Now, we have to take into consideration, this is important. Behind all evil is evil itself. So when, in Ephesians 6, when it says that we're not fighting against each other humanly, but against the darkness and principalities of the kingdom of darkness, Satan himself is the author of evil. He is evil. In fact, Jesus said he's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. So any violence is his nature. 
violence is not what God intends, and especially thou shall not murder, right? Now, he didn't say kill, because a lot of people say, well, when you go to war, that's different. Thou shalt murder someone, that's an act of violence. Violence escalates. Would you say that no matter how long you've been on this earth, that you've seen an escalation of violence, right? We see an escalation of violence. And I think sometimes we miss certain things in our culture that are acts of violence. Like, do you know what the leading cause of death was last year worldwide? Abortion. 41 million deaths. Now, there's a woman, her name is Allison Howard, who's the Alliance for Defending Freedom. She said abortion is a violent act tearing a human limb from limb. And I look back to Noah's day. I don't know if any of that was going on, but I'm telling you what, that's an escalation of violence towards human beings who are made in the image of God. That's total depravity. A few weeks ago, when I was talking about sin. Our nature is total depravity. And in fact, our minds are depraved. Outside of God and his word and his spirit in our life, we would just continue to go down and down and down. It's only God's grace that keeps us from that. So what did God do during those time? He intervened because he said, sin can't go on like this. And so he sent the flood to clean everything out and start over because sin was just rampant and he needed to curtail it. Otherwise, it was going to take over everything. And the question then has to be asked, well, why hasn't God intervened now, right? I mean, we look around and isn't our world just as bad? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians about the day of the Lord, which is the day of God's vengeance. It's a day in the future. So he says, let no one in any way deceive you for it, referring to the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy, which means falling away or rebellion, comes first. And the man of lawlessness, and that word lawlessness is a namos. Namos in Greek is law. When you have an A before it, it negates it. So it's lawlessness without law. And this is referring to the law of God, but also the law of society. So the man of lawlessness, and we have to understand who this person is. In Daniel, he's referred to as the abomination of desolation. We refer to him sometimes as the Antichrist. But we have to understand that John wrote in his epistle that the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. We can see that, right? The spirit of the Antichrist Anybody who's against Christ is anti-Christ. That spirit is here. But one day, there'll be a human person who will be basically the human incarnation of Satan. And he will rule the world. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, displaying himself as being God. And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the question is, why hasn't God intervened? Because the violence has escalated, the sin is rampant. Well, he will in the future. But Paul says here that it would be a lot worse 
if the restrainer wasn't here. So who is the restrainer? I believe it's the Holy Spirit. Now there's people speculate what we don't really know what that is. But if we look at the church, and when I mean the church, I mean believers, the believer is the one who has received the Holy Spirit, right? We all agree on that, right? So if the church were to be taken out, then the restraint would be lifted. And imagine how much worse it would be. Can you imagine? See, the Holy Spirit is restraining it through the church when the church acts like the church. Sadly, there's denominations that aren't acting like the church. But when the church acts like the church and lives to bring glory to God, there can only be a natural restraint. But when the rapture happens, and this is another reason why I believe the rapture will happen before the great tribulation of the last seven years. Because can you imagine, this man of lawlessness is going to come about sometime during that last seven years. Imagine the church is gone, meaning the church is raptured in heaven with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit basically has left, and then it's wide open. Can you already see how the world is anti-Christ, anti-church, anti-Bible? That's all happening because it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And one day the church is going to be, and they're going to love it. So get those out of here. We want to do what we want to do. So that's what we're talking about. We live in the same days as Noah. In fact, Jesus said, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Some people go, oh, the flood didn't happen. For me, all I need is it said in here, and Jesus confirms it. Jesus didn't even have to confirm it. It's in here. But Jesus confirmed it. But if that's not you, talk to a geologist. Go to the Grand Canyon and look at the layers of sediment. And you will find, and they have found, fish fossils in the Grand Canyon. How does that happen? They also found embedded footprints of animals running up like they would be running away from something. So this was a worldwide flood. And Jesus said, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. This will happen in the future. We don't know the day or the hour, but it's going to happen. And sadly, people will not be thinking about God. They won't be thinking like in Noah's day. And how long did it take Noah to build ark? 120 years. God gave mankind 120 years to repent. God has given thousands of years. We're living currently in what's called the age of grace, the church age, where God is giving people chance after chance after chance. The next thing is God judged the people of Noah's day. God judged them. The Lord said, I will blot out. And that word means to wipe out or erase. Remember the etch-a-sketch? <laughs> like you think and then shake it, and it's all disappeared. I will remove man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals. Pastor Sam talked about the animals on the ark because God wasn't, going to create again from nothing. He was going to use what he already made. 
to repopulate the earth. He chose to bring Noah's family, the animals, on the ark, but he didn't have to bring fish, right? Because fish were going to live. So man to animals, to creeping things and birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. God was sorry that he made man, but he's never sorry that he redeemed man. And that's the hope we have in Christ. He didn't choose to start over to create from nothing. He chose to create from what he already made, to repopulate the earth from what he had already created. And then in verse 13, so God said to Noah, which by the way, it's amazing that God speaks to us. Let's not take that for granted. I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So what did God tell Noah to build? Ark. Remember that song? Noah built an arky, 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 arky. Da, 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 da. I can't remember all the words. But very, da, 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 da. Whatever. My wife, she sings that to the kids all the time. But that word in Hebrew, teba, for ark, can mean a box or even a casket. So it's interesting because salvation always begins with death to self. Noah was willing to die to himself to be able to live. And isn't that what Jesus said? Now, it's the same word used to describe what Moses' mother made to save him from being killed as an infant. It's the same word. He put him in a little box and sent him down the Nile River. And so it's interesting that water can be destructive, but God can also use water to save us. And in Ephesians 5, the word of God is referred to as being washed by the word. So God spoke to Noah and Noah responded in faith. Now, although not with a flood, God will judge the earth again. God said, I will never do it this way but we do know that the future God will judge the earth again. Turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. So Peter's writing to the church to encourage them because they're being persecuted. He said, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts. So mocking Christ, mocking the church and saying, where's the promise of his coming? And even believers will fall asleep, uh, the Bible says, and will forget about Jesus' second coming. It says, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, the patriarchs, but that word is meaning die, they died. So ever since the patriarchs died, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this line of thinking, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Remember, the spirit was hovering over the water and then God spoke creation into existence through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So Peter's now also confirming the flood. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. So that's saying that God is going to judge the world now with fire in the future. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So he's saying God is not restricted by time, but it doesn't mean he's not going to do what he said he's going to do. As some counts lawless. And this is a major reason why God is waiting. 
This blows my mind. God is patient toward you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance and get on the ark and be saved. Think about it. Do you have loved ones or people that you know that don't know Jesus? Do you want them to miss the boat? No, God is waiting. Now go to Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. We're going to look at one part of what the Great Tribulation will look like when the actual day of the Lord, not to be confused with the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day is Sunday. We come and worship on Sunday. The day of the Lord is the day of God's vengeance. And in Revelation 6, we see the sixth seal being opened on the scroll, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves. So he's talking about a future time when God's wrath is coming on the earth. And among the rocks of the mountains, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him. Now they acknowledge who he is, who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb, Jesus Christ, for the great day of their, speaking of the one who sits on the throne, God, and the wrath of the Lamb, Jesus, and who is able to stand. Now that is a sad day because people will finally come to the realization that I should have got on the ark, that I should have placed my faith in Christ. I heard it a million times and I didn't. And by the way, you know, you can do that at any moment. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you just do it. You say, Lord, I believe in you. I want you to come to my life. And I want you to be the Lord of my life. But some people keep rejecting God. But here's the good news for the church, for believers. In 1 Thessalonians 5.9, it says, God has not appointed us for wrath, but for salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank God we do not have to experience the judgment of God. Because that's not going to be a good thing. Joel, the prophet Joel, wrote about the day of the Lord, and it looks a lot like we just read in Revelation. It said, The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Next, God's grace was offered to Noah and his family. So it says in verse 7, it says, I will wipe out all mankind. I'm sorry I made man. But in verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and it wasn't because of what he did. That means that he was a recipient of God's favor. That's God's grace. Because if you're honest, is there anyone worth saving? Think about it. Are we that good and that perfect before the Lord that, yeah, I deserve to be saved? No, if we're honest, we say, I don't deserve to be saved. Thank God you saved me. God, when he starts over here and he repopulates the earth, he starts to develop what we call a remnant of believers. Because not every person on the face of the earth believes. But those who do believe are a remnant 
who will one day inherit the kingdom of God. In Romans 9.27, it says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. In Romans 11.5, in the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. We, as believers in Christ, are a part of that remnant. But we have to become a part of the remnant by placing our faith in Christ to be saved because just because you hang out with people that are remnant people doesn't make you a remnant person, right? It's a personal decision to trust Christ. And in verse 18 of Genesis 6, God says, I will establish my covenant with you. It's a promise. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Wow. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So that's an act of grace with Noah. And then God says, hey, bring your wife and your kids and your relatives with you. That's grace. Nobody deserved to get on there. What if Noah said, hey, because I'm sure he's out there building an ark and there's people walking about. What are you doing? No, I'm building an ark. For what? Oh, one day going to be a flood. Yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, that's, you believe that stuff? That's fantasy, Noah. You really believe what God says? You hear people say that? What if he goes to his family and goes, hey, God told me uh, I got to build this boat. What's a boat? Oh, we'll get into that later. Uh, just trust me on this. <laughs> uh, but God, we got to do this because there's going to be this great flood. What if they said, ah, you go. People do it all the time. You need Jesus in your life because outside of Jesus, you're in Adam, which means you're in death. But when you come into faith in Christ, you become in Christ. And in Christ, you're born again and you receive eternal life, which means eternal life with God in heaven and not separated from him in hell. You offend me. That's offensive. Sorry, yeah, it's offensive. But it's what God says. Oh, you that's what you think. I'm okay. Breaks your heart. Breaks God's heart. Because at some point, the reality of that decision comes to light. And this is why God has placed us here for this time at Del Cerro. But it's not about us. I like, we're the ark. How many people are you going to bring with you? Is it just you? Or are you going to care about other people? See, in verse 22, chapter 6, it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him, but that was after. He didn't do everything God commanded him before God chose him. Like Noah, God's grace is offered to us. Ephesians 2.8, read it with me. For by grace you have been saved, faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing, there's that word, of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, we're washed clean by the blood of Christ. Now, go back to 1 Peter now, and chapter 3. And this is an interesting passage, but it says, For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. The confusing stuff here a little bit, but he goes on to talk about Noah. 
who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. So is that saying that like God or Jesus went to hell and preached to these spirits? Because some people say, see, that proves that the sons of God were spirits. But then you have to say, well, yeah, but behind all acts of evil are spirits. And we don't know when this happened, like when he preached. But the point is, is that disobedience will be judged when the patient of God kept waiting and waiting and waiting for the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So we know it's eight people that lived and got saved. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for good conscience. So it's not saying that water baptism is saving you. It's saying corresponding to that, brought safely through the water, an image now of you being baptized in water is the image of what you do as a profession of faith once you place your faith in Christ, because that picture of being washed, and then through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. So Christ is alive in the spirit because he rose from the dead. We have been washed and we are alive in the spirit through Christ. And baptism is when we go under the water, it's like we're dying to ourselves, which is that casket, the word ark, remember casket, and coming out of the water as a picture of life, being washed by the water of God's word and his spirit. Next, God used Noah to multiply the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, remember, and now he's using Noah and his family to replenish the earth. In Genesis 9, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And it was the same commandment given in Adam and Eve. And then like Noah, we are to do the same. And remember in Genesis 1, when he made Adam and Eve, he said, go multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And next, God made a covenant with Noah. This is called the Noahic Covenant which is an important covenant. Next week, we're going to talk about the Abrahamic covenant. And all these covenants are important because they still affect us today. So God made a covenant with Noah in Genesis 9:11. He said, I will establish my covenant, my promise. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again, that's twice, will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And then verse 15, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you, Noah, and every living creature of all flesh, and never again, again, he says that, shall the water become flood to destroy all flesh or living things. The Noahic covenant, then, is a covenant with the world. Because in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 9 in Genesis, God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you, for all successive generations, I set my bow, and that word literally means archer's bow. We translate it as a rainbow because we see it that way. But it should remind us that God's grace is holding back that bow. And it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and who? Everyone. We all get to be a part of this. Isn't that awesome? But we have to choose to be because in John 3.16 says, For God so loved what? The world. 
that he gave his one and only son. So he gave everything for you and me that whoever, what? Believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to what? Faith. There's only two types of people in the world. Those who are not on the ark and will be swept away by God's judgment. Those who are on the ark in belief and faith in Christ and will be saved eternally with him. So the first question is, which are you? And remember, you can't say, well, I'm with him or I'm with her. (laughs) No, this is about you and God. So that's the first question. But the second question, if you're on the ark, how about bringing people with you? Because if this is true, there's going to be people who are one day going to have to pay the penalty for their own sin when Christ did it for us. I know that Satan has blinded the mind of unbelievers, and we can talk to a blue in the face sometimes, and they don't get it, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop talking, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop preaching, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop doing what we need to do in faith to grow and to help other people come to faith in Christ. Amen? So I want to pray, and I want to give you an opportunity, because in a moment we're going to to take the Lord's Supper together. So if you're not a believer today, you can be a believer right now by just praying this prayer in your heart and meaning it, saying, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to come into my life. Thank you for saving me from death. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again. And I ask you now to come in by your spirit and make me a new person. Wash me clean and be the Lord and Savior of my life. With your heads bowed, if anyone prayed that prayer, lift your hand in the air. Thank you, Lord. And I pray, God, that those who did pray that realize that the Bible says, whoever calls the name of Jesus will be saved. And I'm thankful that they're now with us in the ark, and we will be saved from God's wrath and destruction by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com. Amazing.